Uh, most of you know we're getting married in August. My best man, he's about to come up on the screen, there he is, Harvey. Um, he's one of those completely mental army types. Uh, you might have come across them. He always was a bit strange, even when we were kids. Uh, when he was at school, uh, one of the boys found what he thought was a tame rabbit in the school grounds. And as this boy was showing off the rabbit to his friends, Harvey walked straight up to them and wrung its neck. It was the kindest thing to do. The rabbit had myxomatosis. It was the right thing to do, but a bit strange. Harvey's since grown up a lot. I'm still quite worried about his best man speech, but he has grown up a lot, particularly since joining the army. Uh, when he joined the army, when he put on the uniform for the first time, he became adopted into a, a new family, into the military family. And so he has a new obligation, his obligation to submit to the authority of his superiors. He has a new privilege to strive for a common goal with his new family. Adoption is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Catherine Heigl, the uh, Grey's Anatomy actress, grew up with an adopted sister, and she has since adopted two of her own kids. And this is what she says about adoption. People often wonder if love for a child is genetic. I know that it is not. This is the privilege of the adopted child, to be truly and deeply loved by a family that you were not born into. And this is what it's like for the Christian today. This is what our passage talks about today. It might not always feel like it, but we have a new family now. We've been adopted. And because of that, we function differently. The way we live our lives has completely changed. We're in a series at the moment here about, uh, from Romans 8 titled More Than Conquerors. And this is the identity of every believer. In today's passage, we see that we are adopted children by the Father and sealed by the Spirit who brings control instead of indulgence and confidence instead of fear. Now, just like last week, our passage starts with a therefore, so therefore we're going to ask, what is the therefore, therefore, again? These chapters in Romans, they have a logical flow, so let's follow it. If you were here last week, if you weren't, go and listen to the podcast, uh, but let's quickly revisit Lanks from last week. The Spirit's work uh, in the life of the believer. Lanx's first point, no condemnation for the believer today because of the work of Christ in the past. We have been released from the consequences of sin and the condemnation of the law because Jesus died on the cross, miraculously declared not guilty. And then Lanx's second point, absolute hope for tomorrow because Jesus, uh, sorry, because of the work in the Spirit who lives in every believer today. Because we have the Spirit of God living in us, because that Spirit raises us to a new life that extends into eternity, because of everything that Lanx helped us see last week, we have an obligation. And this is our first point, the obligation of a child. Our obligation, our duty, that which we cannot help but pursue, is not to the flesh. Do you see that in verse 12? But what is the flesh? Uh, we've been reading as a church the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I'm sure there are some left if you'd like one, ask. Um, if you have been reading it, have you noticed it's, well, it's quite a depressing book in some ways, isn't it? It's really helpful, but, but it's hard. Screwtape, the senior devil, instructs Wormwood, his junior devil, how best to ensure that his human lives according to the flesh. 
And what's hard is that his instructions read just like those nagging impulses that plague the way I act as a human. My irrational hatreds, crippling fears, unjustified anger, and self-righteous arrogance, all those other things that seem to control my most harmful actions. But we do not owe our sinful nature anything, though it constantly tries to convince us that we do, doesn't it? You know the feeling, it often comes after we've had a super productive week at work, or we think we've been really good. The, go on, you deserve it. The, go on, it can't do that much damage. The, go on, you owe it to yourself. Do you remember Augustus Gloop? And Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, Augustus, he's one of those kids who wins golden ticket, gets the opportunity to go around Willy Wonka's amazing chocolate factory. And in one scene, at the heart of the factory, the children are told that they can eat whatever they like, but they can't drink from the chocolate river. And unable to control his love for chocolate, Augustus runs straight to that chocolate river. He starts to feast on the chocolate, and before long, he loses balance and falls into the chocolate river. He cannot swim. He gets sucked, if you remember, sucked into a pipe, gets stuck halfway up. It looks like he's on his way to die. And this is what happens when we live according to the flesh. It ends up consuming us. We fall into it. And do you see in verse 13? It leads to death. It leads to an eternal punishment. The fiery lake of burning sulfur, weeping and gnashing of teeth, separated from the love of God in chains of darkness. But... The Christian's obligation is not to the flesh. We do not owe it anything. So instead, our obligation is, by the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the body, because this is the way to life. We must put to death the misdeeds of the Spirit, but we do not do this in our own strength. Do you see that? By the Spirit. It is only by the grace of God that we can put to death that old way of living. It's something that we will always be able to do because we have the Spirit of God living in us. We are more than conquerors. But this is not a passive letting go and letting God. We must go to war daily with our own flesh. This is an ongoing and constant battle. Do you see it says put to death? That's in the present continuous tense. It is now and it is ongoing. It doesn't just happen overnight. When we become a Christian, it doesn't result in instant victory over our own flesh. We know this, don't we? It requires a daily denial of our own flesh. But, as Christians, we get to live. We are free to live in pursuit of goodness. Free to live in pursuit of goodness. Not to earn God's favour, but because it becomes by the Spirit that which we cannot help but pursue. That which, though we still exist in the flesh, we will always be able to do. Because, have a look at verse 14, being led by the Spirit also means we are children of God. And being led by the Spirit, it's not the same as guidance. What job should I do? Who should I marry? Every small decision in life. It means living according to the Spirit, rather than according to the flesh. To be a child of God means to be led by the Spirit, 
Because if we are led by the flesh, we will die. But if we are led by the Spirit, we will put to death the misdeeds of the body and live. It's pretty heavy. Let's get really practical for a second, because there are ways, aren't there, that we can live out our new obligation. Here's what it looks like for me. As Katie and I are preparing to move to Edinburgh, we're trying to work out where we're going to live next year. And in that process, I've found it so hard not to let the flesh take over. It persuades me to worry about what I can and cannot afford. It persuades me to spend hours on right move that will somehow satisfy. It tricks me into falling in love with that flat that we're looking at and letting thoughts of it consume me. We've got to be honest about the flesh. Be honest with each other. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Get to know yourself really well. Understand how the, the flesh seeks to control you. Books like the Screwtape Letters are so helpful in this. And understand the consequences of living according to the flesh. Because hell is not an attractive concept. And it is what we all deserve without Jesus. Don't ignore your flesh when it's telling you to indulge. Actively deny it. And remember that you cannot fight it alone but that you can fight it and win because of the spirit that lives inside you. Finally, remember that like Augustus Gloop, we are saved from certain death by someone else. Because of what Christ did on the cross, there is now no condemnation for the faithful. This is the obligation of the child of God in these moments, to live according to the spirit, free from obligation to the nagging impulses of the flesh. I wonder who, uh, who might know the musical that these lyrics come from. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Anyone? It is from Frozen. You know the song. If you haven't seen it, you'll still know the song, Let It Go. I'm not going to sing it. I'll spare you that. Uh, but those are some of the lyrics. And this is the freedom that the culture we live in sells us liberated from all rules and restrictions. Do you hear? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. But this absolute removal of rule and restriction does not truly make us free. It's what philosophers call absolute negative freedom, this removal of all rule and restriction. The opposite, positive freedom, is the freedom to pursue life, to pursue something good. Sometimes that doesn't look like freedom, does it? Sometimes we have to forego lesser freedoms in order to pursue greater ones. So if you want to enjoy the freedom of being physically fit, you have to restrict things, don't you? Your diet, your desire to not go to the gym. And we all know that the freedom of a child is rooted in the loving restrictions of their parents. Left without those restrictions, though they might look free for a, for a time, they're going to pursue their impulses and their desires and ultimately come to harm. Sometimes we have to forego lesser freedoms to pursue greater ones. There is no positive freedom in pursuing the flesh without restriction. The idea that we are free if we have the ability to choose to act on our impulses, that is not freedom. If you think there is freedom in the ability to give in to your impulses, freedom to do whatever you like, can I challenge you? See if you can go a week 
even a day, without giving in to those impulses. Tell me then that you are truly free from it. See, the ultimate bondage is bondage to ourselves. It's our inability to control the urges that enslave us. But the spirit that lives inside us is the spirit of adoption. And here's our second point, the privilege of a child. We have been adopted as children of God. Here's what J.I. Packer had to say about it, about adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Here's what adoption does. Legally, it is a complete status change. The authority in a person's life changes. But so much more than that, and I think this is what Packer is talking about here, Adoption is the beginning of a beautiful, loving relationship. When Catherine Heigl adopted her two children, did you hear how she expressed her love for them, despite the fact that genetically they were not hers? Being adopted into God's family by the Spirit because of Christ's death on the cross, we are invited into the most beautiful, loving relationship. Earthly adoption is just a small, imperfect picture of the unity that we share in with the Father through Christ. Do you see in verse 15, it is by the Spirit that we cry, Father. A deep, heartfelt crying out to our Father, Abba, Daddy God. And it's by the Spirit that we can have assurance The Spirit doesn't just make us children of God. He makes us aware that we are children of God. Have a look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How does he do that? Well, the Spirit testifies on our behalf, bearing witness to our righteousness, one on the cross. So we heard from Langs last week. We all stand in that courtroom totally guilty. And the Spirit stands in the witness box and says, no. Not this one. She's innocent. He's innocent. Christ died for her. Christ died for him. And do you notice the Spirit testifies with our spirit because he leads us to hate our sin. Hear this. If you're struggling with the flesh even now, your very hatred of the misdeeds of it is the Spirit at work within you to convict you, to transform you and assure you of your new status as a child of God. Because sin forsaken is the best evidence of sin forgiven. The Christian enjoys a beautiful, loving relationship with God the Father and has assurance by the Spirit that they are God's adopted child. Have a look at verse 17. This is the great promise of that adoption. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ glorious inheritance in the early 1900s there was a a wealthy man whose wife had recently died and since his wife had died he was really struggling to connect with his young teenage son he loved his son and desperately wanted to develop their friendship so taking advantage of his wealth and his son's love for art he began to accrue this amazing collection It worked brilliantly, and together they amassed one of the greatest collections of art in the early 20th century. But it wasn't long before the First World War broke out, and the son was conscripted and shipped off to Germany. 
He quickly became a distinguished soldier, won all sorts of medals. His dad could not have been more proud. But one day, his dad received that letter that so many fathers received at the time. His son had died in battle. Just months after the war had been won, there was a knock at his door. He answered, and there before him stood this young, uniformed man with a package in his hands. Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. This young man held out the package in his hands. He said, I know this isn't much. I'm really not a great artist. And then the father opened the package and there was a portrait of his son in the final weeks of his life. It really wasn't a brilliant painting, but the father couldn't help but well up as he stared into the eyes of his own son. The father hung this portrait above the mantel in his house and every time people came to visit to see his great works of art he would take them first to the son the man died just a few months later and there was to be a great auction of his paintings many influential people gathered excited over seeing uh, all the famous paintings maybe having the opportunity to buy one and on the platform stood this painting of the son the auctioneer pounded his gavel and said we're going to start the bidding soon here's the picture of the son who will bid for this painting there was absolute silence then one of the art collectors said we want to see the famous paintings let's skip this one the auctioneer persisted will anyone bid for this painting who will start the bidding five thousand pounds silence four thousand pounds Anyone? £3,000. Another voice shouts more angrily this time. We didn't come to see this painting. We've come to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued. £1,000. Will anyone take this painting? £500. Silence. £100. And then, finally, a voice came from the back of the room. I will give you £50. It's not much, but it is all I have. It was the family's long-time gardener. Going once, going twice, sold, and the auctioneer put down his gavel. The auction is now over, he said. He reached out of his pocket, pulled out a letter. It was the will of the father, and on it it simply read, Whoever gets the son gets it all. We are now heirs of God. We will inherit all that God has promised, and we are co-heirs with Christ. Do you see that? If we get Christ, if we trust in his death as sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins and his resurrection as a promise for the life to come, then we step into the same inheritance that he has promised. This is the Father's will. Whoever gets the Son gets it all. But here's the sting. Have a look at verse 17. We are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. 
This means that the shape of his earthly story must be the same as the shape of our earthly story. Being a child of God does not guarantee an easy ride. In fact, we should expect suffering. Just as Jesus faced suffering on our road to glory. We struggle with indwelling sin, don't we? But we experience the assurance that because of the Holy Spirit within us, we will together inherit a a world with Christ in a resurrection body where there is no more sin. This does not leave us simply despairing of this world and longing for the next, but it gives us the confidence to fight the battle against sin as we wake each day. We have an obligation as children of God to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, to deny ourselves daily, to refuse to be slaves to our own desires and instead pursue freedom of life in the spirit. And we have a privilege adopted by God. We are heirs with Christ, promised a glorious inheritance with him. In just a second, we're going to sing again. But first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be your child. Thank you for everything that that means for us now and into eternity. We're so sorry for when we fail to recognize that. And we're sorry for when we fail to act out our obligation, Lord. I pray that you would help us all uh, today, this week and ongoing, that you would help us fulfill our obligation that is not to the flesh, but by the Spirit, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Amen.